Hi, I'm Candace Huber, and you're listening to Novel Ideas on WRBH, a weekly discussion of all things literary. This week, I'm going to do a new segment, and I like to call this It's Not About Me. And this segment is about my journey this year reading books from perspectives that are not my own and how it's going to change my worldview or my journey of how my worldview is changing through reading these books on different perspectives. And so today I'm going to talk about the first book I read, which was a book that we read for the Brave New World Book Club, and it's called Between the World and Me by ta Coates. And this book is a book about... It's a nonfiction book about the black male experience in America. And Ta-Nehisi Coates writes it in a letter format to his son. And he talks about his journey of growing up black in America. He talks about his childhood, his college experience. He reflects on those things from an adult perspective. He talks about the struggle and what it means to him and what he hopes it will mean to his son. It had a lot of parallels, I thought, to A Letter from the Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. And I really would recommend reading both of them sort of together or back to back because I think that there are a lot of parallels there. They're both written in letter format, for example. They both talk about the struggle. And I think it was a really interesting book. I am a white woman, and so my perspective is obviously very different from ta Coates, who is a black man. And I am an activist and I'm involved in organizing. And I've, I work with a lot of black men and have th- for years in various different capacities. And so I really thought that I understood or at least was trying to understand their experience and could empathize with a lot of it. And then I read this book and it just completely blew away everything that I thought I knew. And I think that that's a really good thing because I think that it's easy to fall into that when you're working with people that you think that you know what they're going through and you can empathize with them. And it's good that you're talking to people and that you're trying to empathize. But I really, really don't know and I will never know what that experience is like. And so even though... I'm trying and I can fight for them. I just won't ever have that experience. And so being able to read, I think, really changes that for a person, which is why I decided to go on this journey, because when you read a book, you are that person in that book. When you read a book, you become the writer. You put yourself into the story and you live that story with that character. You you see it from that character's perspective. You become that character and you're able to live as that character for a little while. And so in this book, obviously it's nonfiction, I was able to see a black man's perspective and I was able to sort of put myself into that position and, you know, be be that for a short period of time while reading the book. And I think this is why books are so important because you can put yourself into the story and you do when you read a book. And so reading this book really changed my perspective on a lot of things. The first thing is that I I thought that I knew how black men presented themselves and how they feel about that. And Ta-Nehisi Coates really explains that really well in the book. And he he frames it in a way that's really interesting. He talks about 
black bodies. And he talks about how the black body is threatened in a lot of different ways in America and how you have to grow up just constantly being threatened all the time. And you just never think about that as a white woman. I, you know, I feel threatened sometimes. Obviously, I'm a woman. There's things that happen that are scary, but not in the same way as how black men feel threatened. And so he talks about the assault on black bodies in America, and he talks about it from a lot of different perspectives and how black males present themselves and the armor that they create and the physical armor of the fashion and the cars that they drive and how they have to present themselves to the world in order to protect themselves. Because if they don't represent themselves a certain way, then then their body will be threatened. And that was really interesting to me because obviously I don't know what it's like to grow up a black boy in a neighborhood like that. And so the way that he talks about the armor that they put on, whether that is literal physical armor because you're worried you're going to get shot by the police or whether that is, you know, fashion armor or the car that you drive or something like that to where you present yourself in a way that other people won't beat you up or that other people won't mess with you because you have to present yourself a certain way growing up in certain neighborhoods, at least, that you won't be physically threatened. And so just that thought of constantly being physically threatened was new to me because it's something that, you know, just being a normal person, we don't have to, you know, being normal, everything's normal for us as white people. And it's not, our normal is not the same as the African-American male normal. And so he talks about how he has to think about everything that he does and things that are, like I said, normal for me to do, for example, taking out the trash at night or, you know, jumping into somebody's yard in order to get your kid's ball went over the fence and you have to go get it out of somebody's yard. These things are not things that a black man can safely do. You know, a black man can't safely take out the trash at night because it looks suspicious. A black man can't just go jump into somebody's yard to get a ball because his son kicked it over the fence because if somebody sees a black man in their backyard, they're going to call the cops and where will that lead? I actually had a friend tell me a story the other day that in his neighborhood that he lives in a majority white neighborhood and his neighbor's dog had gotten out and was running around. And so he caught the neighbor's dog and he actually was afraid to go put the dog back in the yard, even though the gate was open. So he kept the dog with him in his house and called around and everything was trying to figure out you know, to get in touch with his neighbor to let them know that he had the dog. And he said that he felt like he couldn't just go put the dog back in the yard because that would look suspicious. And all it takes is one phone call to the cops and then his life is threatened. And these are things that I don't think about. I wouldn't I wouldn't even think about putting a dog back in my neighbor's yard. I wouldn't even think about going to get a ball out of a neighbor's yard. I, I don't even think about taking out the trash at night. So these are things that we just a lot of us just don't have to think about it. it's it's not threatening for us to do these things and it is for black men and so that alone was just mind blowing for me because you know i can go about my normal life and they have to be in a way paranoid about a lot of the things that they do and that 
perspective was just really worldview changing for me. And I knew, you know, just being involved in Black Lives Matter things and and being involved in things surrounding police violence, you know, I knew that they felt threatened, you know, that that part wasn't new to me, that black men feel threatened because obviously they are, they can't even get stopped for, you know, a, a brake light out or something like that. But I didn't think about the normal everyday things that black men may have to be paranoid in doing because they they don't know. They just don't know if somebody's going to find whatever they are doing suspicious just because they're black. And that is just really sad for me to think about that, to think about somebody who can't even put their trash out in, at night because they're worried about that. And so that part really just knowing that you can't go about your your daily life in a way that other people can or that other people are used to doing, that really changed my perspective on the world in general. I think the other thing is that, you know, he does talk about the threat to the black body a lot in the book. I mean, that's how he frames it. And, you know, how how everything is threatening and whether that be a physical threat or whether that be an emotional threat, there are a lot of threatening things. And he talks about a lot of the experiences that he had growing up and in college that really changed the way he saw the world. And so going on this journey with him on the way he saw the world versus on the way I see the world and being in that space, it was really very jarring. And he says things that you don't really want to hear. And he says things that you don't really want to hear. And one of the things that he talks about that's a pretty consistent theme in the book as well are the dreamers, which are white people. And he talks about how they're able to live in this dream world where it's not actual reality. And they're able to ignore a lot of the things that are going on because they can and because it doesn't affect them. And until something affects them, you know, they're just willing to ignore it. And I found this to be really true, especially in today's society, that we do ignore the plights of other people because we can. And I think recently that's changing, which I think is a really good thing. But historically, you know, we are dreamers. We kind of just live in our own world and we don't really look at what's happening around us and we don't really try to empathize or understand someone else's experience. And I think that all of those things are really important. Another thing that he said that really struck me was he talks about intentions in the book. And this is a word that I hear a lot in doing you know, activist work and organizing work. And even with my husband, even with my friends, there are people talk about intentions all the time. And, you know, well, I might have screwed up, but my intention was good. You know, I intended to do good, but I screwed up or I intended to do this and I didn't do it or whatever the case is. And ta Coates talks about intentions specifically and how intentions don't matter. And at the end of the day, you can have as many good intentions as you want, but it's not it doesn't matter because intentions aren't a real thing. They're not a tangible thing. Your actions are tangible. Your actions are what actually affects people. So if you hurt somebody, but you had good intentions, that intention doesn't matter because you still hurt that person. And this whole idea of 
intention and good intentions just not mattering, I think is really important right now because I think that a lot of people talk about intentions and talk about intentions of politicians or talk about intentions of other people and say, you know, well, the intention of this safety pin is really good, but like, what are you actually doing with it? And so that was a really interesting concept to me as well. The dreamers and how the dreamers a lot of times have these intentions to save everything and to be these great people. But at the end of the day, they don't really act on anything. And so the uh, the black men are just stuck in this struggle. And he talks about the struggle. And I think one of the things that was really the most jarring and sad, but also very real thing is that at the end of the book, he says he talks about the struggle and he talks about how that's really all they have is the struggle. And he's passing this along to his kid and he's saying, you know, you have to understand the struggle and that's what you have is the struggle. And it's just so accepting of reality. And it's just like, you know, this is this is what reality is. And this is the struggle. And this is how we have to live. And you are just going to have to learn how to live this way. And I hope that by passing my story and by passing all this information on to you, that you'll be able to live this struggle in a way better than I could. And that was just so powerful to me because he doesn't talk about necessarily changing it. He he it's not necessarily like uplifting. It will get better for you. He he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you know, things will get better. He just says, this is the struggle. It is what it is and learn to live it. And that is just so powerful for me. And uh, those are the things that really were able to change my worldview. And I'm going to leave you with a quote that he says about the struggle that's towards the end of the book, because I think this really sums it up well. He says, none of us were promised to end the fight on our feet, fists raised to the sky. We could not control our enemy's number, strength, nor weaponry. Sometimes you just caught a bad one. But whether you fought or ran, you did together because that is the part that was in our control. What we must never do is willingly hand over our own bodies or the bodies of our friends. That was the wisdom. We knew we did not lay down the direction of the street, but despite that, we could and must fashion the way of our walk. The struggle in and of itself has meaning. This is from Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. This was It's Not About Me and How This Book Has Changed My Worldview. Listen again next month. I'll be talking about a book called The Book of Unknown Americans, which is about the Mexican immigrant struggle. And I am excited to read that and talk about it with you. And you've been listening to Novel Ideas on WRBH. This is Candace Huber.